And listen, hear my heart today. I love you today. But I care more about us spiritually growing, standing strong, not wavering and compromising. I care more about that than I do growing numbers and looking all nice and pretty. And I'm here to tell you, God is coming back soon. And we've got to be ready. We're living in trying times. So I want to preach. I'm going to jump right in here for just a moment. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read one scripture from Exodus 31, verse 18. Exodus 31, verse 18. And it says, And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And I'm going to preach for a few moments on the finger of God today. There were three times in the Bible where the finger of God physically appeared on earth. And as unbelievable as it may sound, God's finger became visible and it wrote messages to mankind. The first time God took his finger and he wrote, the Bible says he wrote upon stone. Begin to wonder why stone possibly. This is maybe what I feel, but I believe he wrote on stone because it's hard. It gives a permanent record. And when God gave us the Ten Commandments as Old Testament law, he wrote on stone because I believe he wanted us to understand that he does not change. Understand today, and we're seeing it, society will change. Morals will change. The government will change. But God does not change. Let me preach it again. God does not change. He said in Malachi, I am the Lord God and I change not. My friend, you can change your philosophy today. You can change your opinion. You can change what you've been taught through the word of God all these years. You can let a professor change your thinking and your mind. You can change your beliefs. You can change your opinions all you want to. But God said, I change not. And the things that made our nation great, hear me, the foundation of strong homes, the foundation of strong churches, the, strong, the foundation of strong marriages and families and the belief in God, those things are vanishing right before our eyes today. I was raised that there were two kinds of human beings, a male and a female but for some reason they're wanting to cram down our throats that there is a third kind. But I've come to tell you, it is not biblical today. There's only a man and a woman. There's a male and a female. God says, I don't change. That's not hate speech. That's, I love you so much that I've got to tell you what God says. Psalms 11 and 3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what are the righteous to do? And I believe he wrote with his finger on stone as to say, I am God and I'm not changing my word. Morals may change, 
Philosophy may change. The Supreme Court may try to change some things. The media will try to brainwash you and change. Hollywood will try to change your perceptive. But God says my character, my holiness, my word will remain the same. Come on, somebody. I'm the same. God says I have not lowered my standards. He wrote on stone because I believe it's permanent. But he also wrote on it because I believe he wants us to know that the, the law's hard. How many knows it's hard? I can't really think of anything harder to do than to live by the Ten Commandments. It's difficult to keep them, if we're honest. And the stone law was hard to keep because if you broke one law, you were guilty of breaking them all. Then not only was it that were they hard and was it permanent on written on stone, there were 21 offenses in the Bible that were punishable by death. If you broke these laws, they would stone you to death. Now, have you ever thought about what would have happened to the prodigal son when he came home if he'd been living back in the Old Testament times instead of them giving him shoes and, and, and a new robe and a ring and throwing him in a party and killing the fatted calf, they would have gathered around him with stones in their hand and said, son, you broke the fourth commandment. You did not honor your father and mother and they would have stoned him to death. So the 10 commandments that were written by the finger of God were hard. They were permanent. And what did he write with his finger that he wanted to last for all generations? What did he write that our founding fathers and those that came before us and brought us to where we are today as a nation and that, that, they, that that's been taught in our schools? What did he write with his finger that was so important that he would not even allow a prophet to speak it or send it secondhand? But he said, these laws, this Ten Commandment is so important, I've got got to write it myself with my own finger. What, what was so important? Let me tell you. The first commandment says, Thou shalt not have other gods before me. We're not to have any other gods before us. Isaiah 45 says, I'm the Lord God and beside me there is none other. No other gods before us. And today I need us to understand that man is not God. Money is not God. Education is not God. Washington is not God. Come on somebody. The Supreme Court is not God. Sports teams are not God today. The intellect of man is not God. Hear me today. We, we do an injustice to our children when we give them a godless education when our children go to school and they're taught that there's some biological accident that there's no destiny there's no purpose for them I've come to tell you they just did not crawl out of some mud like a tadpole and climb up in a tree and turn into a monkey that evolves into a human being come on somebody That's what they're hearing. And if somebody don't tell them the truth, they're going to be confused. And the author of confusion is still the devil. 
You can believe that garbage if you want. You can believe you come out of mud as a tadpole and turned into a, a monkey if you want. But I've come to tell you, the word of God says that we are the offspring of God. We were created and made in the image of God. Come on, somebody. And the first five words in the book of Genesis says, in the beginning, God created a hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so if you're empty and void today, you'll never be whole until you accept Jesus Christ as Savior. You'll never know peace. You'll never have joy. You'll never know what life is worth living. See, you don't need drugs. You don't need alcohol. I'm just, I'm already out here today because I'm just... Mm. <laughs> Listen, we're living in such a casual world where alcohol has just become whatever. Everybody do it. Bible talks about sipping a little bit for the stomach's sake. I heard a pastor tell me that day, he said he told his congregation, I've never seen so many people with stomach issues this day. I have never seen anything good come from alcohol, but I've had my share of times where I've had to counsel people and pray for people where it brought destruction and death to marriages and families and homes. Come on, somebody. You don't need that stuff. You don't need drugs. You, don't, you need Jesus today. He'll only give you joy. He can only give you the peace that satisfies today. Hate me or whatever, but it's the truth today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then the second commandment, thou shalt make no graven images. And, and, and God is trying to get across to us that we're not to worship any man, any religious leaders, any preachers, any pastors, any dumb, lifeless idols. We serve a living God. He sits high and lifted up today and he's alive forevermore. America is fastly becoming a nation of idolatry. And understand, I understand everybody should have a right to believe and worship who they want to worship, we're free. We have free will. We can choose today. That's how God created us. But hear me, hear me. As a nation, our history in the United States of America and our background has been one that we have no other gods before him. And we, we've been taught he alone is God. That's how this nation was built. That's how it could become successful. That's the reason it has been blessed and understood when others are crying out to witches for direction and others are looking to the stars and the moon for direction and others are going to fortune tellers, I've come to tell you there's only one person that you need to go to and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. You can't get to him through some other God. You can't get to him through a crystal ball today. You cannot get him through a 1-800 or 1-900. Come on, somebody, psychic network, the only one way to the Father is still through the Son, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man cometh unto the Father except by me. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, Jesus is still the way. Hallelujah. 
And then he wrote the third commandment on that stone that was hard and permanent. He said, thou shalt remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh-oh. Y'all sure y'all still want me around here? To... I've almost made it a year, but I don't know. <laughs> we seem to have a nine commandment religion sometimes. This third commandment's not preached on much. So many counties have passed laws allowing liquor sales on Sunday. The Bible says, Thou shalt remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's not enough for people to die in mangled glass and wrecked cars, but we've got to make it okay on Sunday now. We're supposed to tolerate it. Bible says, remember the Sabbath. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And what a shame to see people doing everything on Sunday. In the Old Testament, if you gathered up a bundle of sticks, they'd have you stoned to death. Now, I'm not advocating bringing that back by any means. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it was, if it was serious enough in God's mind to set aside one day, one day, just one out of the seven. It's a shame that we can work six days a week and show up early and stay late, but we can't get up one day and go to church for Him. You don't come for me. It's for Him. It's a shame that our kids have to ask, Mama, Daddy, are we going to church today? It ought to be a given. Your neighbors ought to hear you get in the car, close the door, and crank the car up on Sunday morning, and they ought to get under conviction because you're taking the family to the house of God on Sunday. This is the day that the Lord has made. And the Bible says, as you see the days approaching, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. If you don't get to church and get fed, you're gonna die spiritually. Then the fourth thing he wrote on those hard, this is hard preaching, I know. I fought it. But I don't like to fight God. I gotta be obedient. I'm the one that has to deal with this after the service is over. Number four, he said, Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. First Timothy said, One of the signs of the last days would be children being disobedient to their parents. And can I tell you, there is a spirit of rebellion in the young generation today. The Bible says we must honor our mother and our father. And do you know it's the only commandment that comes with a P.S.? And it says, if you honor your father and mother, that means not rebelling and screaming at them and cussing at them and disobeying, but honoring them. Do you know what? If you all honor them, do you know what the Bible says? Long will be your days upon the earth. But you know what? If you rebel and if you dishonor against your parents, do you know what the Bible says will happen to you? Your life will be cut down prematurely. That's not Jeff Maxwell's words. That's right here. Look it up. Honor, honor, honor your mom and your dad. I want to say this to parents too. It goes both ways. Be honorable. 
Live a life of consistency before your kids. Don't let them do one thing and then you do another. Don't tell them not to look at that or watch that and then they catch you doing that. Don't, don't tell them not to smoke, smoke or drink or partake of this or that and then you do it. Don't cuss and fuss and scream if you don't want them to. You got to lead them, not command them. You lead them to church. Don't tell them to go. Take them by the hand. And then the fifth commandment he wrote was thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. How sad it is today to hear people curse God's name. How sad it is to see Hollywood make a mockery of the name of Jesus. The apostle Paul said God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee must bow. Every tongue confess that he is the Lord. His name is not to be blasphemed. His name is not to be cursed. His name ought to not be put together with any other name unless it's lifting up his name. Come on. It's a name to be held in high esteem. There's only one name that can heal your broken body, my friend. There's only one name today that can bring salvation. There's only one name that you can cry out to in the, in the storm and it will bring peace. It's the name of Jesus. Mohammed's name won't do it. Buddha's name won't do it. Allah's name won't do it. There is only one name and his name is Jesus. I wish somebody would say Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. And the sixth thing he wrote on the hard stone, it's permanent, says thou shalt not commit adultery. People say, well, it's nobody's business what I do. Love gives me the right to do as I please. Well, my friend, you don't have love, you have lust. Love, love implies being in a covenant with someone. Love implies you're faithful to them. We're living in an adulterous generation and oh, oh, how we need to cry out against it. What a shame. What a sad day and time in America. The only thing that's going to make America strong again is when we get strong and grounded in the Word and repent and go back to, to, to what God's Word says and live it. Man, I'm just, I'm out here. I'm just going to go ahead and get it all out today. If you're looking for a feel-good message and encouraging uh, faith, come on back next Sunday. I promise you I'll get one of those somewhere. You can get in on one. And concerning our children, we don't need to be telling them safe sex. People are dying from all kind of disease. We don't go around talking about safe drugs. Practice safe drunk driving. So why don't we promote this as safe? What we need to be teaching and promoting is abstinence to this young generation. Saving yourself. Saving yourself for the one God has got for you. Because he does have one for you if you'll wait on him. And then it'll be blessed. And then it'll be good. Is this okay today? Amen. And then number seven, he said, Thou shalt not steal. Where are the people of integrity? There was a time when somebody said they're going to do something. You didn't have to worry if they was going to do it. But they did it. If you do business with folks today, you better get a receipt. Amen. Amen. 
Let me move on. That was pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> no, number eight, he said, thou shalt not kill. Obviously, it's wrong to murder somebody. But I believe that applies to the inside of the womb as well as on the outside of the womb. Life is precious. Life is to be honored today. Oh, how we need to stand up in this hour and say we believe in life. Life has been demeaned today. Life has been presented as not important. And it's become some of the laws that are being passed. I don't care what Democrat, I don't care what Republican, I don't care what Independent says about it, I don't care what President says. Uh, what counts is what the Word says, what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lord said, and he said, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Just yesterday, I heard a lady interviewing somebody on the news and they were asking them what they thought about a woman's right to choose in this Roe versus Wade and, and they, they, they didn't want it overturned. They want the woman to have the right to do whatever and, and they were fierce and the lady said, well, what if, what if you could kill that baby after it's born? Well, do you, a woman ought to have a right to do that. What about if it's two years old? A woman ought to have a right to do whatever. Ah, where is our society going? That is absolute murder. Thou shalt not kill. Now watch this. Let me take it a little further. Thou shalt not kill. James says, whoever, you didn't see, you ain't gonna see this one coming. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. So if you hate black people, you're a murderer. If you hate Hispanic people, you're a murderer. If you hate white people, you're a murderer. Don't call yourself a Christian, you're a murderer. Before you attack someone physically, you will always attack them with your tongue. I'm not preaching stuff I've made up in my opinion. The Bible says they, they gnashed upon Stephen with their teeth. Tore him up with their mouth, their tongue. Put him down before they attacked him physically and killed him. And you'll attack them with your mouth. It's called character assassination. And when we run people down and talk about them, we're a murderer. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear a false witness. Number nine. What does that mean? That means when you, when you lie about someone or start spreading falsehoods about you, you're bearing false witness. And it's a terrible offense in the sight of God. And then number 10, I'm hurrying. Thou shalt not covet or thou shalt not lust after a thing. America is the richest nation in the world and we have the highest suicide rate, we have the highest clinical depression rate, we have the highest divorce rate of any nation that tells me that money's not the answer, that tells me that, that things and possessions are not the answer, come on that tells me today that life does not consist of things uh, but being right in a relationship with the Lord matters the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said what? 
do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do, Jesus, to go to heaven? He said, keep the laws of Moses. He said, I've done that, Jesus, since my childhood. Jesus said, one thing that thou lackest, you have agreed for money. Go and sell everything you have. Take up your cross and follow me. The Bible said he slumped his head down and walked away because of the greed of money and materials. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Some people are so busy today they don't have time for God. But let me tell you, when you die, money's not going with you. And your money's not going to impress God. You can't buy your way into heaven. Only the blood of Jesus will get you in, church. I've been in ministry, I was thinking back, some form of ministry, 28 years, starting in youth work. But in the last year of my ministry, I've never had to participate in as many funerals as I have in the whole 28 years, probably. And many of you, if you've lost someone in the last two years, would you just raise your hand? Look at that. I lost a 48-year-old cousin about this time last Sunday. I got the call. Healthy, no problems, walking along with his little boy, having the time of their life, and collapsed. And I tell you today, church, no man knows. We don't know. We better be ready. We better be ready. We better be ready. So the first time God's finger wrote, it wrote on stone, it wrote on something permanent to give us guidelines to live by. And some people say, Pastor, the, the, oh, the Ten Commandments are of yesterday, they don't apply to me. Listen, the Ten Commandments, when you get in the New Testament, are even harder. They're even, think about adultery. In the New Testament, he said, don't even look at somebody wrong and lust. So the Ten Commandments were permanent guidelines, to look, but there's a second time the finger of God appeared and it, it wrote on earth and it's found in John chapter 8, verse 4. It's the time they drug a woman before Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. And the Bible said, they said, to Jesus, Moses said according to the law, stone her. What do you say, Jesus? The Bible says Jesus didn't say anything. He stooped to the ground. And what did he do? He took that finger and he wrote three words, three words in the sand or the dirt. Now we don't know what those words were. I heard one pastor preach on this and he said he he can't prove it, but he felt like that Jesus wrote three names, Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba. Tamar was a Moabite who came out of an incestuous relationship. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. Bathsheba was a woman who had an adulterous affair. Yet all three of those women, even though they were marred by sin, by God's grace and mercy, used them and they became great, great grandmothers of Jesus Christ. 
So maybe he just wrote those three names, basically implying, this is what my amazing grace can do. I don't know. I want to tell somebody here today, I don't care how marred you are. I don't care how wounded you are. I don't care how bad you've messed up. I don't care what kind of shame you're in. The good news today is Jesus still has a writing finger that can still write your name down up in the Lamb's book of life if you'll come to him and say, forgive me, Jesus. Oh, I love you. Come into my heart. He can wipe your past. He can clean up your life. He can make you a new creation. I'm not sure what he wrote in the sand that day, but it was so dramatic that it's, they dropped the stones and they turned and they walked away. That's God's mercy. And then in closing, if the worship team would come, there was a third and final time that God would take his finger and physically write an important message on planet earth. And it's found in Daniel 5 and 5. The finger of God would manifest itself. And in this story, there was an evil king by the name of King Belshazzar, and he sent out 1,000 invitations to all the important people and dignitaries and he invited them to come to this wild party. A lot of drunkenness going on, a lot of sin and this party taking place. Right in the middle of this party, the king stands up and he commands, watch this, all of his servants go into the temple of Jehovah and to take the holy vessels out bring them back, fill them with wine, and raise them up in a toast. And they salute to all of the gods of gold, silver, iron, brass, and wood. Not the God of Jehovah. The God of money, the God of greed. And today, church family... America is saying we don't care about godliness. We don't care about righteousness. We don't care about living holy and in fear of the Lord anymore. We don't care what this book says. It's antique. It doesn't apply. Many people believe that. And that's what they were saying back then. The vessels that they went into the temple of Jehovah and got were to only be touched by the priests. They represented Jesus Christ. And these servants defiled the vessels by filling them with wine. And they held them up and toasted their gods of gold and silver, iron and brass. And they were saying, we don't need Jehovah anymore. We don't need Jehovah God anymore. And as they raised up their cups, watch this. This is in your Bible. Suddenly in that room where they were partying, the lights went out and it got dark. And God crashes that party. And hear me, seriously hear me. God is going to crash the party 
that America is having sooner or later. He is. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. If you're, if you're in relationship with Him, He's going to take care of us. Don't worry. No, I'm not preaching that to make you afraid. But listen, He didn't let Sodom and Gomorrah get away with it. He didn't let them slide. Do you think He is us? People were mocking and ridiculing and making fun. But how many knows God will have the final say? He will. You know what God did? Suddenly out of that darkness in that room, guess what appeared? You ought to know by now, this is a, the finger appeared. Physical finger. I tell you what, that's all it would have taken for me back then. I'd been on my knees repenting. <laughs> my goodness. Out of the darkness, God's finger appears and He begins to write on the palace wall a message to the king that was interpreted to say, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. In other words, king... I have put everything good or at least everything you thought was good on one side of the balance and then I have put the law on the other side of the scale and you have been weighed in the balance and on this night judgment is coming. No sooner did the God's finger write that and disappear from writing it than the enemy, the opposing army broke into the palace and they cut off the head of Belshazzar. His head rolled into a puddle of blood. And God is speaking to you and me today. God is speaking to America today. And He's saying, I have given you the law. I have given you my word. It's permanent. Yes, it may be hard, but I've given you a way to fulfill the law through the cross and the blood of Jesus and through my word. And somebody here today needs to let him into your heart. You need to make him Lord and Savior today. But if you choose not to receive him, if you choose not to receive the two first finger messages God gave, he's got a final one. And it's a message of judgment. Don't hear that preached about much. I close with this. Jesus said there was owner, an owner of a field. As he began to inspect the trees, he noticed there, were, there was one that was fruitless. It had withered from the roots. It was not producing And the Bible says he called for the dresser of the field and the owner said to him, cut it down. Cast it into the fire. It's not profitable to me anymore. I've invested in it. I planted it. I've watered it. I've cared for it. I've been with it through the storms and the rain, and the dry times and the, the plenty times, the times of lack. I've protected it, but it's not producing fruit. Throw it into the fire. 
the dresser of the field grabbed the skirt of the owner and began to cry out, Give me one more year. Let me work the roots. Let me water it. Let me fertilize it. Let me pull the weeds around it. And after one more year, if it's still unfruitful, I'll cut it down and I'll cast it into the fire. So I suggest to us this morning that the owner of that field was justice and the dresser of that field was mercy. And God only knows the times. Justice has stood down over you and me. Stood over unrepented, unfruitful hearts, even in this room right now. When we were driving down the road in our car or sleeping in our bed, not even thinking about God, didn't have one care or concern in our mind about living for Him and serving for Him. Our mind was distracted and we were in love with everything else but the things of the Lord. And justice was looking and saying, you deserve to be thrown into hell. You deserve to be cast in. You're not producing. You're not fruitful. God's invested in you and you're not serving. And justice says you ought to die. But I believe the Holy Ghost is holding judgment back even over somebody in this room today who's playing games with God and saying, I've always got tomorrow. I'm gonna live my life today any way I want and enjoy it and tomorrow I'll get right with God. My friend, we don't have that kind of control today. And justice is watching with the sword drawn. You deserve to die now. But mercy is saying, give them another chance. Give them one more year. Give them one more breath. Give them one more heartbeat. Lo, give them one, let them hear one more sermon like today, God. Let them, let them go to one more church service. Lord, let them go to one more altar call before it's too late. Let them hear one more, more knock on their heart's door. And God is sitting here today to give somebody another chance. And you're not here by accident. There may be somebody in this room not living right. And people are breaking God's heart. People are lost and undone. And if you were to die today, you'd go to hell. Preacher, this is hard. I didn't come to hear this today. Thank God you did. I care enough about you that I'm telling you, hear this heart today. I'm burdened today. God, you know my heart right now. I've done everything I can and I've said everything I know I can say today. Take these words, God, in this message. Cause them to spring forth and spring life in your people. In Jesus' name.